every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello, and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Jay Lee, CMO at Avalara, a leading provider of tax compliance automation software valued at $13 billion. Jay is a two-time CMO with more than 20 years of experience developing high-performing marketing teams, and he previously held leadership roles at GE, American Express, and PayPal. On this episode, Jay walks us through the ins and outs of partner marketing, growing site traffic, content strategy, and the key learnings that he and the marketing team at Avalara are reflecting on post-pandemic. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Jay Lee, CMO of Avalara, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today we are joined by special guest, Jay, how are you? I'm great. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, excited to have you on the show. Excited to talk about your background and everything cool that's going on at Avalara. So let's get into it. How'd you get started in Demand Gen? First job in Demand Gen. You know, so I started my career as an engineer. So marketing and demand gen was sort of the last thing that was on my mind. But along the way, careers are what they are. And I ended up leading the creation of this smart card. And in doing that, I was also the product manager. This was back in the day, like 2001. It was the Visa smart card. And uh, as a product manager, I was also responsible for coming up with the marketing plan. So I think that's where it all began. Uh, And if you go back to 2001, it was all about direct mail. So we put together this whole plan. You have these massive lists, killing tons of trees, sending out tons of direct mail. It was awesome, you know. Uh, so that was the first job is uh, direct mail manager. And so, you know, flash forward to today, for our listeners who don't know, tell us a little bit more about Avalara. Yeah, so Avalara is this awesome company. It's um, it's a global tax compliance technology company that helps businesses of all sizes, all segments, manage the ever-changing world of tax compliance. Uh, and we do this through software. So I'm pretty sure that your listeners have no idea what that is. So let me take a second to sort of tell you what that means, right? Like so, so everything you buy online, as an example, you know, and we we talk about uh, in the B2B world, you're always looking at payment companies, things like that. Everything you buy online, you have to pay tax, right? And then what you don't realize is that there's just so many rules around how this is done. You know, I believe back in 2019. There were over 42,000 tax rate changes in the United States and around the world. In the U.S. and Canada, I think it was 34,000. So just think about that. What kind of product you have, where you're shipping it, what industry it's in. Every single one of those things is different. And the government loves dreaming of taxes, right? Because that's obviously how they fund themselves. So if you're a business of any kind and you're thinking, okay, I got to make sure that I get this right. Because you do. You don't really have a choice. It's like death and taxes. You have to say to yourself, what am I going to do to manage all of this? And what you really need is you need this massive rules engine with people who are staying on top of it. 
And that is what we do. So we're, I think, the largest tax provider, uh, tax compliance provider that's out there. Uh, we have over a thousand partnerships with different companies. And it's an interesting company because uh, tax automation doesn't happen on its own, right? It happens in the context of someone else's software, whether it's your online software, your invoice software, your purchasing software, and so on. So really, that's where we come to life. And we help businesses with all of that by calculating it all, putting it into the right spot, and figuring what a company owes back to the government. So it's something you just have to get right. Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? This is where we can go and feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest, man-gen secrets. So taking a look at Avalara, you mentioned you're selling to every type of company. Um, what does your go-to-market look like? What does your marketing look like? Yeah, so it's interesting. I think the largest challenge that we have in this industry is that tax compliance is not the thing that gets the C-level corporate executives excited, right? Nobody wakes up and says, oh, you know, I've really got to go find out what the next tax innovation is. And I think if you're an entrepreneur as well, it's sort of the last thing you thought of when you wanted to start a business, which is I'm creating my dream company. I'm making all these products. Oh, and I really need to go figure out how it is that I calculate the right taxes when I'm sending it from this state to that state. So the biggest challenge we have is actually awareness. It's awareness and education on a very, I think, low engagement topic. And what's also interesting, we sort of talked about it, is uh, taxes really differ predominantly by industry. So if you think about the go-to-market strategy, you really have to talk to the participants or the audience in an industry against the tax pain that it feels so that they, it resonates with them. So they understand like, oh, yeah, I have to deal with that. and I need to go figure out how to manage it. So our go-to-market is really industry and solution-based. Uh, we speak to the tax challenges that the businesses face and how our solution, the Avalara Compliance Cloud, comes together to solve that. And we're doing that all the way through the funnel. So it's a relatively nascent industry. So we have to create the awareness, you know, consideration, decision, purchase. Obviously, we're a B2B company, and we're in a space that really hasn't existed in the manner that it has until now. And so as you're, as you're selling to those accounts, what does sales look like? Or is this, you know, do you have individual salespeople? Do you, can you buy directly off of the site? What does this look like? So when you're going to every one of those different segments, enterprise, mid-market, small business, you have to have the right strategy that addresses the way that they would like to purchase. And you find that small businesses, really, they'd love to have it self-serve. You know, they want the easy button. They want to be able to come to your website, uh, understand what the solution is, probably get a free trial, get going and see how it connects into their accounting package. Whereas if you're in the mid-market, you really want to talk to somebody. So you have a whole sales team of people who can answer questions about how it works. Um, and up in the enterprise, as you can imagine, it's really managing through a lot of RFPs, making sure that you can explain all the different facets of the solution all the way down from top to bottom. Yeah. So as you've kind of built out your team over the past couple of years, how do you array your team to go after those those accounts? Because those personas are, are wildly different. Yeah, they really are. Um, the way that we structured marketing in Avalara is really, I'll just say, comprehensive and internal because the subject is relatively complicated. You know, I think of the organization structures in five groupings. You know, we have audience owners. These are the people that make up the campaigns. So prospect marketing, 
there when you're using our proprietary brand, Adelera. We have partner marketing. We have customer marketing. These are all the strategists that decide like what kinds of campaigns are going into market. Uh, we have teams that are focused on positioning and the customer experience. So the brand team that does PR and communications, product management that explains what the product is and how to relate the product back to customers, um, and the digital experience team, which builds out the website. Right. So that's positioning, customer experience. We have marketing operations. You can imagine going after so many industries at all different segment sizes. You know, you have a ton of campaigns that are going. So campaign management, campaign optimization, campaign creative and content development all sits in marketing ops. We have marketing analytics, right? So, you know, obviously if you can't measure it, then you have no idea how you're doing. So there's targeting and segmentation, reporting and insights, planning and budgeting. Uh, and finally, what's nice also about marketing at Avalara is the MarTech team sits inside marketing as well. So you have all the front end developers for the website, marketing infrastructure, and the marketing data team. We use a lot of data uh, to model out you know, likely customers and what solutions they would need by industry and size and the channels that they're in, the software that they use. Uh, we're modeling this stuff all the time to set up those campaigns. So I think the biggest thing about our org structure, we really cover it all. I like to keep most of the teams internal. We use a couple of agencies for things here and there, but largely it's all internal. And, you know, obviously they really need to work together to go after so many different things. Do you focus on, you know, building out an account-based approach for those very large accounts and then like more of an SMB approach for the smaller things? Like what does your strategy look like as it relates to the different size customers? So we actually do it all. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the CAC, uh, the customer acquisition costs that you have in those. So obviously, the smaller uh, the ASP or the average selling price, right, the lower the CAC and more efficient you need to be as you're going after the smaller businesses. ABM is something that I think is obviously all the rage. If you do enough modeling, you know exactly what businesses you'd like to target. And well, obviously, with today's technology, you can target them in many different ways. So yeah, ABM is a big portion of our uh, mid-market and enterprise solution or enterprise go-to-market. And so we take different strategies uh, and different using different channels and optimizations at all different levels uh, across all the different types of businesses we're going after, just trying to make sure that we match appropriately the cost and then the return. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are three channels or tactics that are your most uncuttable budget items? Gosh, that's a tough one because really, we like doing everything. But probably the most important thing for us is partner marketing. You know, as I said earlier, Avalara is a company that really manifests itself through partner software. So really what we want to do is we want to partner with all of those partners that we mentioned, over a thousand of them, and figure out how it is that we can help them market us as well as us market with them, you know, to prospects and so on. And there's a, there's a lot of different things that I think are happening. There are case studies that you need to do, testimonials you need to get, use cases that you want to explain uh, when you're combining our software with other software. So I think that's the top of the ladder is the partner marketing budget. Probably the next is our website. So I'm really proud of avalera.com. I'll, I'll tell you, it's uh, we want it to be the go-to resource for tax compliance online. 
And the company did a fantastic thing that um, I think a lot of companies didn't perhaps keep up with. We have one of the most trafficked websites online for tax compliance information. A lot of it is all the tools and um, content that we have. The blog is really huge for us. So it's not like one of those old-time blogs where you're really telling everybody about what's happening inside the company. Uh, it's actually more like a newspaper. So if you want to know what's happening in the world of tax, what's changing in any industry, the fastest place you can find that out actually is at avalera.com. Uh, click on the blog and you can see all the different kinds of articles of stuff that's there. So it's really critical that we maintain this. Uh, it's a fantastic SEO play for us because you know we're writing and creating so much content, it gets picked up really nicely in Google. Uh, and probably the last thing that no one would ever give up, I think, as a CMO would be uh, your digital spend. And certainly, you know, search engine marketing and, you know, it's social marketing and so on, uh, especially for us, you know, where we have to create awareness. People don't even know they need to be searching for us until they run into that. What's the right word for it? Um, I don't want to say any expletives here, but it's like the I made a mistake moment on my taxes, right? Like when you realize that that happened, then suddenly people come to our website. But really, ideally, you would figure out how to manage all this before that happens. And so um, as you're setting up your systems, you're setting up your website and so on, uh, it really is one of those things that you got to make sure you set up correctly before you even get started. Yeah, I, I want to address these these in turn because I think the partner marketing piece is not something we've talked about a ton on the show. And it's something that um, that that is fascinating. So you have a ton of partners that you integrate with from a technology perspective. Are you also like co-marketing with them? Yeah, we are. I mean, we do a lot of co-marketing, and I think that we really want to amp that up in a major way uh, as we scale. I think one of the biggest things that we do a lot of, this is old-time uh, B2B, but it works great, is we do a ton of webinars, you know, in conjunction with our partners. And we're explaining to people, you know, their customers, uh, prospects, how it is that our software works with their software. So I think that's big. You just take that and you start moving it into digital marketing and others. How is it that we can help drive our partner's business is a big thing for us. One of the big things that we did last year was we created the Certified Implementation Partner Program. And so it used to be, if you go back, Avalara would do all of the implementations itself through our professional services arm. But you, know, you just can't grow that fast enough to keep up with the growth of the company. So at some point, you know, all of our ISV or our channel partners, those that do also consultants, right? software consultants and others, you know, arming them with the ability to install Avalara and configure that for their customers is the next big push when you think about our partner strategy. How do we let other people manage that, deepen the relationships they have with their customers and get all this stuff working for them and be there, you know, when they run into trouble? You know, so a lot of the stuff that you were just talking about is not necessarily like dollars associated with it when you're talking about, you know, human capital that's supporting those relationships or that are that's building those you know, things like webinar, how do you look at, you know, budgeting for partner marketing with ad spend versus people versus uh, programs? Wow. You know, I don't think we've got that completely nailed down. Obviously, we manage all of the budgets really closely. We want to make sure that we're supporting all of our partners. But I think the thing that we are always doing is we're trying to get a sense of what the spend is and then what the return is. You know, so in B2B, it's all about what kind of leads are you creating in all the different programs that you have and what, pipe of, what kind of pipeline you're generating for sales. And we track that really, really closely. 
What you end up finding, of course, in, in software like ours or B2B, especially the mid-market, it takes quite a bit of education and engagement with the prospects in order to make that end sale. So it isn't really going to be like the first time they show up at a webinar, they're going to buy something right away, right? That just doesn't happen. More likely what's happening is they're coming and visiting us, they're consuming our content, they're understanding how it works. And what you end up finding after multiple touches with them, you know, they start to realize, okay, this is the kind of thing that's going to work for me. And we try and track all of that. We know how many times they visit us, how many conversations they've had, and so on. And obviously, you want to try and make it as efficient as possible, but everybody, every business has its own, has its own life cycle. Yeah, this, the, the reason why I ask is, you know, my friends who are in partner marketing, you hear how much work that they put into, I mean, what I would call like almost non-marketing activities, right? Like strength, it's almost more like business development for a lot of the times of the, when they're setting up partnerships, there's, they're optimizing, you know, setting up a webinar, setting up, you know, different things. But the, the amount of like campaign creation and running is not necessarily the stuff that they're doing. So, you know, there, it ends up being a lot of, you know, human hours that are, you know, going into that. So I was curious how, how to judge ROI on something like that when it's such an important part of of uh, of your strategy? Well, I'll say we don't go all the way down to how many hours is the partner marketing manager working on it. You know what I mean? For sure. Oh, yeah. But um, I can say this, though. I mean, like you, we are looking at webinars, how many people attended, how many people wanted follow-up. That happens certainly all the time. And you're right. There's absolutely a, a ton of human effort that goes into it because... Um, you know, the partner strategy doesn't always have the greatest scale, right? And there's like an 80-20 rule and everything. There's certain partners that are really large. They have great scale. But you also have this long tail of partners. And especially in the tax world, yeah. Um, what you end up finding is since we go to market or we go through partners, there's just this, um, I've never knew this, there's just a large number of different kinds of ERPs or systems that companies use to manage. And they may have like a customer base of say, you know, 500 businesses, but every single one of those businesses needs help. I mean, they need to pay taxes, right? And so you get into these very interesting motions of trying to figure out how do you support, you know, marketing programs into the long tail, as well as obviously the ones that you can spend a lot of attention on, you know, where you can um, really craft it along with them, you know, at the larger companies. Yeah, it's such a great point because I think that, you know, we we talk all the time, as we mentioned about ABM and about getting these lists of target accounts and, and really honing that and thinking about that. But with your partners, a lot of times, that's exactly what you're you're talking about, right? Where it's like, hey, you know, they have 240 customers of those, 240 of them are ideal customers for you all. And if you can, you know, spend X amount of time marketing to that group, then, you know, you could potentially pull a, a large percentage of market share just from that. And it, but it takes kind of a, a little bit more of a disciplined approach than, you know, like spending a bunch of money on other pace, places trying to figure out, you know, where those, where your, your target customers are, for example. Yeah. Well, you know, the way I think about it is, is this, if you're working with a partner, and the partner is endorsing you, right? And obviously they would because they've looked at your solution and they know it works. Um, it takes more effort, right? And again, not every partner obviously is small, like 240, but the 
efficacy of that program is much higher, right? A recommendation from the partner, hey, you should use Avalara to manage your tax compliance in our system. That's enormous, you know, versus us going direct, which we do, right? We do a lot of direct marketing ourselves, whether it's digital or direct mail or otherwise. Um, but it's always better to have that trusted advisor or a system that you're already using endorse us uh, because you know that it's going to work. Uh, and that really matters. So you really have to have a combination of all of these. Partners, really important to Avalara. We do a lot of our own halo marketing for our direct campaigns, right? You know, I'm sure at some point, whether you recognize it or not, you've heard us on NPR, right? So we're there trying to get to small businesses. But I think it's a combination of all of these things. And I think as you go to the smaller businesses, um, it's still the same thing, right? You will do a lot of your own direct marketing, SEO, SEM, all the combined to get the smaller businesses. But you really want to get to smaller businesses through big partnerships, right? Really the aggregation points, e-com providers, marketplaces, you know, where businesses are doing a lot of their business. Well, you know, it's interesting that you said that your your number one challenge was awareness at the top because those kind of halo halo effects hit a lot at a at a lot higher rate when they go into a partner campaign already knowing like I think I've heard of that person or I think I heard them on a uh, on a podcast or something or you know I think I've heard of them before and like oh I do need help with with tax like I, I should check this out rather than um, or, or vice versa, right? It gives them a nice reminder if they've already sat through a webinar with you all. And then, you know, a month later, they're, uh, you know, they're seeing ads everywhere and getting reminded of the services. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely true. And so having this multi-pronged strategy, whether it's our own halo messages that come through your e-com provider and so on, I, I think it's, uh, it's helps to reinforce something that is a relatively low awareness in the beginning. Because it's just not something that people think about when they're setting up a business is how am I going to collect all the tax and then send it back to all the different states that I actually have to do that for now. Last question on partner. How would you think about KPIs for a partner team? That's a great question. I think there's a lot of different KPIs that go into it. You know, probably the biggest would be what kind of penetration are you making into the partner's base, right? That's a fairly good one. And uh, I think that's a valid one because Sooner or later, all of those businesses are going to automate tax, right? It's just an inevitability. But I think others are also, you know, how often are they willing to do marketing with us? You know, how many campaigns are we doing together? You know, do we have their engagement around webinars to really bring important topics to their base? And obviously the relationship. So there's a lot of things that go into the partner management. Okay, switching gears to the to the second point that you brought in, the website, a huge catch-all for a couple of things that, that you are doing, which I, I find wonderful. Number one, I, you know, the content, like you said, is, is top notch. You have so much stuff on the website and I love the free resources and the tools, even the way that you highlight the tools for our listeners, you can go, go to avalera.com to check it out. But the way that if you click on resources, there's, there's a little box that lets you know that it's a tool or new that gives it a nice, uh, clear place for the person to look of, Hey, I can do that. Starting with tools. How much time does it take to create really good tools, the tools that I'm talking about, there's a calculate sales tax, there's a free assessment, and there's a manual compliance calculator on there. How much does how much time and effort and money did it does it take to create really good tools and keep those up to date? Or is it kind of something that you can create and then tweak a little bit as you as you go and they continue to perform? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give a lot of kudos to our product and engineering team, because the tools that we have online 
or I would say simplified version of the real thing that we have in the back that's calculating the billions of transactions for everybody else. And all of these things like your nexus, which is your relationship, your obligations to states and taxes, and all of those thresholds, all of this stuff comes out of our engineers and product team. And we make versions of that that smaller businesses can use on our website to figure out what's going on. It's really interesting. You know, we, we do customer research all the time. And one of the things that always pops up are, you know, they didn't know anything about it. They don't know what the tax obligations are. They don't know where to find it or anything. You know, when they do searching online and they start to use all these keywords that they're starting that come up as they start to try and figure out how to manage sales tax, all it leads to us, which is great, right? So you have, we have all these guides and white papers and, you know, the tools to calculate it and understand what it is. And we even have free rates that you can download online that are more simplistic than really the heavy duty stuff that you would want if you were a mid-market company. But for small businesses, and that'd be the right thing that you can use and plug into the software you're already using. So I think honestly, the, the resources and that whole strategy around the content uh, and the SEO has paid off in dividends for us. You know, the SEO drives so many visitors to our website to check out and understand. And I go back to that content in the blog. What you end up finding is that we've actually become a resource even for the government, universities, things like that. They read the articles that we have in and they cite us in papers that they're doing or things that they're proposing. What's your content strategy? Are you looking at making all like really in-depth, high-quality pieces? Are you having, you know, some stuff that's a lot more shorter, quick hit, you know, made for social? It seems like the world of taxes is so deep and complex that it seems like you'd, you'd need some, uh, some serious heft behind uh, the research and the, and the insights here. Well, the nice thing about it is that it's just a normal course of business for us. We have a lot of people who are constantly making sure that they're on top of the tax changes, the reports that come out internally of anything that happens in any state government or otherwise. And we get that information and we write articles about it to make sure that prospects and customers understand what's changing. What's really cool is we have this thing we call sales tax changes. It's probably on its sixth or seventh year. I'm not sure how many years we've been doing it now. And what it does is it does a wrap up of everything that changed in the year and gives a little perspective on what we think might be coming in the following year. And that always goes out at the beginning of the year so that you can understand what changed in the past. And then we have updates that happen along the way. And it's becoming more and more of this fantastic resource where it's not just about sales tax, but it includes all of these industry breakouts now. So if you happen to be in the winery industry or if you happen to be in manufacturing of some kind, you can go in there and see all the changes that have happened in these really easy-to-use guides. So who creates this stuff? Is this people on your content team? Are you working with outside partners? Are there, are there people that, that work for you that are, like you said, the experts that work on the product team that are helping write this? So we have people internally that are managing all the changes in the tax world all the time, right? They're managing it, they're documenting it, they're making sure that it ends up in the tax engine for the system. But I think that, yes, I think as far as the content goes, uh, the write-up of all of this does happen in the content and the creative team. And so there's a number of writers. In fact, we're always thinking about bringing on more writers because, you know, it's uh, whenever you go and tackle another industry, 
it's new content that you need to develop. You need to put it in the context of that industry. So yeah, we write a lot of this. Um, most of it is internal. Uh, you have to be an expert um, in this space. I'm not sure if there are people outside the space who find this as fascinating as we do. And there's really fun stuff in there too. If you go to the blog, and I think we call it Wacky Tax Wednesday, you'll find just these bizarre oddities in the tax code, things that you would just never recognize, right? So gosh, where's this? there's this one I remember. It has to do with candy and chocolate, and I believe whether or not the chocolate has flour in it. So if it's flourless chocolate, it gets taxed one way. If there's flour in it, it gets taxed another way. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe it wasn't flour. It was something else. But it has so much to do with ingredients. you know. And it's the same thing. It's like water. Is it bottled water? Is it fizzy water? <laughs> Is it flavored water? I mean, all of that stuff ends up with different tax codes. So you can imagine trying to keep on top of all of this. You have to go to your whole product catalog. You got to catalog everything. You got to get the right tax code for it. And you got to make sure that as the government changes things, because they love to do that, they love to use taxes to pay for all types of things that they want to fund. You got to stay on top of it. That's incredible cash. Yeah, it really is. It's mind-boggling, it, isn't it? It's it, it, it mind-boggling, really I know. Um, I can't believe it. I mean, I can, but that's that's so wild. So with a huge amount of content on the site, and obviously a ton of people visiting. Have you looked at things like conversational or chat? Oh, yeah. I'll tell you something. So we used to use, I would call it relatively unintelligent chat, right? If someone was available in the SDR team, you came to chat. And if it could connect you, it'd connect you. You could have a conversation relatively unintelligent. Recently, we've we've implemented a whole new chat that's very intelligent. It's got a bot. We have AI on there. We have playbooks that are built out. So depending upon the kind of question, we know exactly where to direct you on the website to find out what you'd like. You know, and if at some point it looks like you want to engage with someone, you know, we have people obviously standing at the ready. And it's done way better than I thought that it would. You know, um, I think that just in this world, perhaps it was COVID related, uh, being able to connect in the manner that you want, you know, obviously that's the right thing to do. Make sure that you have all these channels available for customers. So chat's done really well. Touching on that, on the final final piece that uh, that you were looking at there, you talked about paid. Any particular campaigns that you've run, paid campaigns over the past couple of years that have worked particularly well? I think that they're all working really well. Nothing really stands out as far as the paid campaigns go. I think what's really worked out well is our SEO. Certainly that uh, informs paid campaigns. And, you know, the, the world of search is changing all the time, right? Google changes the rules all the time. So the team's really keeping on top of that. And probably the most important thing is that any information we get out of it turns into stuff we put back into our modeling and then trying to refine, you know, the target audience. Nothing from a paid campaign, I think, uh, stands out. It's just all done really well. What about uh, your biggest learning experiences over the past uh, couple of years with with campaigns, or a big, maybe uh, maybe not a failure, but uh, a learning experience? I'll say this: you know, COVID. I'm sure other people, everyone, every business had this. COVID really threw us for a loop. One of the biggest channels that we had was the event channel. You can imagine our core audience is mid market. Where can you really get in front of them, but at the most important events and conferences that they're going to? So, you know, COVID happens in March. Immediately, that whole industry is shut down. 
it's a whole channel for us that just went dark, right? And so you're thinking about a multi-channel approach to go to market. And one of the main ones to your target audience gets shut off. What are you going to do? And obviously what we did was we leaned into all the other channels. We lit up a bunch of webinars and started to get ourselves into the virtual world. So I think that was the big thing that happened for us. Big learning experience is to make sure that you're always rationalizing and making sure that you have channels at the ready to light up if you need it. Because, you know, maybe let's hope another exogenous chuck doesn't like that doesn't come along again. And I'm my whole team knows this, so I'm going to say it here because if they listen to this, they'll have a little chuckle. The thing that really worked well for us during COVID, ironically, was direct mail because people were still checking their mail, especially if you think about it, the accountants in the tax department, right? <laughs> I wouldn't say they were checking it every day, but um, they were paying attention. So that was good for us. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This one's going to be a little different today. Instead of talking about memorable dust-up, we're going to talk about how to navigate opinions and criticism from outside of marketing. You've dealt with this a little bit in your career. You have some thoughts on this. Um, How do you think people should you know, navigate the criticisms uh, that happen as they all do, as everyone thinks that they are a marketer. And maybe in in some ways, everybody can can be a marketer. But I know that we get a lot of uh, other people's opinions. Yeah, we sure do. And I would say that uh, you're right. Everyone inside a company is a marketer. And what I think is funny is that all of those people are really marketers to themselves, right? You know, when someone says and wants to offer advice on the marketing, most often they're thinking about it in the context of their own decision process and their own understanding. You know, well, obviously what they're not doing is they're not thinking, what is the customer thinking or how am I going to connect with the way that their mindset is put together on it? So the way that I think that I've always approached that because it's happened, I think every CMO has to deal with that because everyone has an opinion on it. I think it's really this. uh, One is, is there the basis of a really interesting hypothesis that the recommender has for you? Like, are they bringing up something that you guys haven't thought of already? But I think the other is, and if it is something that is a really good hypothesis, my answer is always, let's test it, right? I think that's what's so great about marketing versus just about any other part of a company is, it's where you're actually supposed to test a ton of stuff. So there really isn't any bad marketing campaign, right? As long as it doesn't cause any... Uh, reputational issues, you don't do anything sort of strange, right? And that obviously we read about all that kind of stuff all the time. Marketing is really, really supposed to get out there, test your message, and you can manage it really in a very refined way, you know, whether it's um, because you're A-B testing or you're doing something regionally or you're having sales, try out different sales tactic and so on. I mean, there's just so much you can do there. So I really think that's the answer is at the end of the day, right? I really enjoy everyone's opinions, but they don't really matter because what really matters is the metrics and the numbers. And if you're a CMO that doesn't have those, then you're in deep trouble, right? But if you do have them and you can test and you can explain how things work, then I think you're going to be fine. And uh, honestly, that's what everybody really wants to know outside of marketing is what's working and what's not. I shared this on the podcast before. One of the pieces of advice that I got early in my, in my military career was one of my bosses was like, 
Ian, I know you do a lot of like research before the meetings and you always have all the answers and you've thought through a bunch of stuff. Always think you have all the answers. But when I ask you for something in the meeting, sometimes I just want to hear, I'll look into it and then just get back to me next meeting with like why whatever I said can't work and give me some, you know, A, B and C of, of options that we can do instead. And I think that that's part of, you know, it, it illustrates an idea or an issue for a lot of CMOs and marketers where you start to be the the director of no. And like that person is not a super fun person to work with. And so if someone's like, hey, I think we should have a billboard on, you know, whatever, or I think we should sponsor this conference or I, you know, whatever it is, or I think we should be doing more Facebook ads. It's just probably not the best polit- internal politics to just be like, no, we try that and it doesn't work because it's just, you know, at least hear them out or figure out a, a way that you can take in all of those ideas and then get back to them with like, hey, you know, this is why we can't try this, but we did this instead, or this is how we could use your ideas and, and you know, take the spirit of what you said and do something else. No, I think that's right. And, and I think that you really, there really is no bad idea in marketing unless it's sort of reputational, right? Like you really should be trying all these things because you never really know. And I'll tell you, one of the worst things that anyone could ever say, especially marketing, marketing should never say this is, oh, we tried that and it didn't work, right? Because it's always some, like the world is always different today than it was yesterday and circumstances have changed. So I really think that like, you have to you have to be willing to take other people's ideas uh, and fit it in in the right place. Obviously, you have your priorities, you know, you have your budgets, you know, you have what's been allocated for the year. But testing is always a part of a budget that people should make sure that they have. Yeah, it's such a great point because we also default to these very simplistic things, which are massive channels and and buckets and markets. Like, oh, we tried video or we tried events or we tried whatever it is. And it's like all of those things are so, you know, it's so reductive to say like, oh, we tried video. And it's like, well, what did you try? Did you try like mobile video? Did you try... You know, were they TikToks? Were they, you know, was it documentaries? Was it like, what do you mean you tried Vivid? That's why the whole like pivot to video was funny a number of years ago. But I do think that that's part of the part of the issue that people will say like, oh, well, we run all these experiments and we tried that already. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe maybe the technology surrounding that idea wasn't, you know, up to speed yet. Or yeah, maybe you tried to do a bunch of events 10 years ago and you know, people didn't really know how to track who the heck was going to events and what, what booths they were going to. And now we can do geolocation and all sorts of stuff. Like there is always like things change so quickly technology wise in MarTech. There's like the whatever quadrillion uh, MarTech companies that are out there and people are always looking for the new thing or finding a new edge. So it is silly. I totally agree. That's a great point that you should never say, oh, we tried it before. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's always something that's out there. And you know what's really interesting, too, is um, I don't think that there's, unless it's been outlawed, right? Now, obviously, there are old marketing practices from a couple of decades ago you're just not allowed to do anymore. But I think that the old marketing channels still work in the right, when you use them the right way as well. So really, it's about trying to mix and match and put all these things together, especially if you're a company like ours, where you're reaching the enterprise, middle market, small businesses across all these different industries, all of them have different ways that you would reach them. It's not all just one thing. There isn't one thing that does it all. So yeah, I, I think that that's right. Yeah, I agree. I think people don't take enough uh, enough advice from from previous like older campaigns or 
or take uh, like what made something successful from you know X, Y, or Z. Like you see, you see so few B two B companies leveraging you know things like celebrities and other stuff like that. Like there's just so other than maybe at our our conferences, but you see so so little stuff like that. Whereas you see people like you know Apple and the and the the best marketers that just go back to that well over and over and over and over again over time. And it it is funny that some of those older you know, quote unquote, older tactics that still can be like, you know, you talked about direct mail. Again, that's like such a loaded thing, right? Oh, direct mail. Well, it's like, you can send anything in the mail. You know, you could, I'm not saying you should do this, but you could send someone a puppy in the mail. Does does someone not want to have a puppy, right? Like (laughs) to say, oh, well, we don't do direct mail. It's like, oh, or we don't want to cut down a bunch of trees. It's like, well, you don't have to send, you know, pieces of paper, you can send all sorts of different stuff. Send me cookies. I'm ready. Okay. So that's a good one. I'll bring this up because I know that uh, my marketing team will really find this fun. One of the most successful marketing campaigns that Avalara has done. And again, you have to put this in the context of what success metric you're looking at. But one of the most successful ones is the, um, the Avalara pie campaign. So it's part of our ABM motion. You know, we know that certain companies are the ones we really want to target and we would send them pies in the mail, you know, and, uh, it was, it's, it's really, from what I understand, I've never got to taste it, but this amazing pie and customized. And, you know, obviously it's Avalara branded and has Avalara on the pie and everything. And it's great because you send it into the tax department, you know, people get it. Obviously this was, you know, pre COVID. And, uh, you know, you'd share a pie and be like, what is this company? It's like, oh, you know, it's a tax company. So, I mean, we call that dimensional mail. I wouldn't call it direct mail, but yeah, it is obviously mail. So that's, that's absolutely right. Well, yeah. And the reason why I say it's like, yeah, dimensional mail, it's, I, I like that, that phrase, but the idea of, you know, of, of sending people something that can excite them or help them or, you know, or anything like that is, uh, it's always a good idea. I'll tell you what's fun about that one is, um, you're not just sending it to one person, right? Because one person's not going to eat a whole pie. So immediately it goes out into the common area, right? People share it. It's great. So I, I thought that was um, I thought that was a stroke of brilliance. And uh, I had not done that before until the team told me about the, how they had done that here. One of uh, one of our previous episodes uh, in Amazing Guests, they they sent food trucks. Same sort of ideas. Like you have to go down to the food truck. You have to like everybody standing around the food truck. They're talking like, who paid for lunch today? So yeah, I love stuff like that. Oh, that's a great idea. I like that. Shortest one. <laughs> the shortest ways to way to a person's wallet is through their stomach or something, something like that. Something like that. Okay, let's get to our final segment. Quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like how quickly you can talk to somebody on your website with qualified. Go to qualified.com to learn more. We love qualified. They're our best friends. They've been with us since the beginning of the show, uh, and they're the best partners you can have. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Quick and easy, just like these questions. Qualified prospects are on your website right now. Go talk to them quickly with qualified.com. Quick hits. Jay, are you ready? Sure am. Go ahead. Number one, if you weren't in marketing at all or business in general, what would you be doing? Oh, goodness. I would be a professional tennis player. Uh, I'd also need to be three inches tall, uh, but that's really my my absolute love. I think if uh, I play tennis, I don't know, three four times a week, it's uh, you just get to get out there and run around. So that's what I would do. I'd be a professional tennis player. In our hypothetical, you can add. I'll give you four inches. <laughs> there that's, you go. Very you know, nice. 
Thank you. That'd help a lot. And a killer serve. You got it all. Um, is there a favorite book or uh, or podcast or TV show that you've been uh, checking out recently? Well, I'll tell you, the one that I really like always is um, Hidden Brain. Yeah, so my favorite podcast is Hidden Brain by Shaka Vedanta. And I think that the reason it's so fascinating is because he brings up all different kinds of topics around the way the mind thinks, how people make decisions. And as you can imagine, so much of marketing is emotional, creative, the way people make decisions. Having listening to that always brings up really interesting ideas around marketing. Makes you think, oh, I should try this, you know, because people have this kind of computational distortion, as an example, right? You know, if you if I say a number, you sort of hook on that number, and then when I ask you to estimate something, it's going to be close to that number. So all those kinds of different types of human behavior aspects comes out in this podcast, and it's a great source of uh, potential ideas. If I brought you back one year from now to talk marketing, what's the biggest thing that's changed? What have you tried? What's uh, What have you explored? So the biggest thing that we're trying to get moved into is video. It's funny that you mentioned that earlier on. <laughs> there you go. But I think that if you think about what happened during COVID and just human behavior now, I mean, B2B was filled with white papers, all different types of content that we expected someone to read. You know, and that's still out there. People still want to consume that. They want to be able to have that thing that they can reference. But I think it's so much easier now for someone to just go and click on a video and have it spoon fed to them, right? So everything has to turn it into a video, I think, sooner or later, whether it's a how to video, demos, testimonials, you name it. And so we're really trying to figure out how to ramp up and get efficient at creating those. I mean, you're preaching to the choir on that one. Or a company that makes podcasts and videos. So <laughs> I know what you mean. But it's funny. I mean, anecdotally, we hear that too. We hear that from everyone. Everyone that we work with is the same sort of thing. It's like, how do we get audio content? How do we get video content? Because, um, you know, what, 99% of content that's, that B2B companies make is written. So yeah, I totally agree. No, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, if you take a look back at... Uh... Just what happened in the last year, I told you that the event world sort of shut down. You know, we went into podcasts in a big way. It's like, and the technology, as we talked about, is changing dramatically and quickly. And I think that podcasts, you know, I wasn't sure if it was going to be a fad or not, if you go back a couple of years, right? And it's really taken off. And you can get to the audiences that you really want to reach. Yeah. And so being able to advertise on those enough, I think it's going to be great. I think podcasts are awesome. Well, cosign. Couldn't agree more. Last question here. What advice would you give to a first-time CMO trying to figure out that demand gen strategy? Oh, first-time CMO. You know, here's what I'd say is make sure you do your homework. Try and size everything up with numbers. Syndicate your hypothesis around what you're going to do so that people understand that you don't think you have the answer yet and that you're working into it. And test your way into it. Test in small ways before you go big. Don't bet the farm. You know, make sure you see signs of life in what you're trying out. And through the whole thing, you know, I think this is a core tenet of Avalara and certainly one that I've had. Be humble about it, right? You don't really know until you make it work because things don't always go as planned. Jay, this has been awesome having you on the show. Great insights. 
Uh, I'm so glad we got to chat long on partners. That was extremely helpful. Our audience will love it. For all of our listeners out there, if you want to check out a bunch of the stuff that we were talking about, go to avalera.com. Obviously, if you're in need of tax support, definitely check out avalera.com. Jay, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Yeah, you know, I'll say this, and um, it just popped into my mind as you said it. Uh, I want to plug avaleracrush.com. So it's the website for our industry event. Uh, we just went through that with the whole team. And I think it's the, the team just did an absolutely brilliant job in putting this together, all the content that's in there. It's like this virtual world that you go into. We have this thing that's called Crush City, where all the different buildings in there are the different industries that we help manage tax for. And you can go into those buildings and look at the content. It's really, really neat. I think it's sort of a, uh, a precursor to the way that the event and the event world is going to happen as we get back to physical. There's still going to be this virtual component. How do all these things come together? Just go check it out at avaleracrush.com. Yeah, this is really rad. I'm going to, I'll check this out after, uh, after we stop recording. This is really cool. Love anything that pushes the, uh, pushes the envelope on digital events. Excited for where that goes. Yeah. I think the team just did a bang up job with this. And I was just amazed at what it was that's possible today you know, versus your typical webinar and uh, streaming series. This is really neat. Awesome. Jay, thanks again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. The ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.